Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, don't stand yet. Colossians chapter 1. You know, I look at our time here and we've, uh, we've traveled a little journey together, haven't we? It began Sunday morning in Sunday school as we looked at a text in Matthew 7. And we learned a thing or two about prayer. How it's never a waste of time to come to our Father. He'll always give us something for showing up. The something He gives us will be good, not bad, because He's a good Father, not a bad one. And that good thing he gives us will meet a need we have, whether we're aware of it or not. I reminded you in that Sunday school lesson, it's never a waste of time to pray. He'll always give you something for showing up. But then we started Sunday morning, that thought out of 1 John, the command to abide in him. And Sunday morning, we saw the why. Why should you, once you belong to him, choose to abide in him? Because of the deception out there. Because of the lack of fruitfulness in here. And then I reminded you because of the confrontation with him one day up there. We'll give an account for how we served him after he saved us. But then Sunday night, we really got to the crux of it, and it was how. How do you and I, once we belong to him, begin to abide in him? I said it was three steps. First, you have to abide in his word. You remember what I said? I said, you show me your relationship to this book, and I will show you your relationship to the Lord. You cannot abide in the living word until you're abiding in the written word. And then I said, step two is allow that word to abide in you. And then step three, shut things off, be still, and let the Holy Spirit of God speak to you and direct your life. Amen? And so we looked at that, abide in Him. And then Monday night, we begin our series we're in right now, finding and knowing God's will for your life. Let's stand. Colossians 1, verse number 9. I'll read this single verse. Colossians 1 and verse 9. The Spirit of God through Paul says this. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And notice this. And a desire that she might be filled with the knowledge of His will. He's speaking of the will of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. With the Lord's help, I'd like to conclude that little thought we began a couple nights ago that I simply entitled, Finding and Knowing God's will for your life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to be in your house tonight. Thank you for the great honor we have to call you our Father. And Lord, we thank you for the blood of Calvary, the great, great sacrifice of your Son, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And thank you for the finished work of Calvary. And thank you tonight for each of us that are saved, our faith has finally found a resting place in your Son. In His name, I pray your blessing upon our time. I pray you set aside the weary thoughts tonight, the busy thoughts, the cares and concerns of this life. And Father, for a moment, help us to understand your will for our lives. If there's someone who's not saved, I pray you'd save them. And Lord, if there's a Christian walking afar off, bring them home again. Draw them back to Thee. And Lord, we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Finding and knowing God's will for your life. I'll not review other than simply tapping the first two points. But I did note as we began this study that if you want to find God's will, you're going to have to go to God's word. There's a divine revelation of not only who God is, and you could never dream up who God is without the word of God. I mean, you could dream up a God, but you'll never be able to identify the God without the word of God. It's impossible. He's an amazing, amazing God. He is truly one of a kind. And it's the Bible that reveals who he is. It's the Bible that shows you how he operates. It's the Bible that shows you his heart. And it's the Bible that shows you what he wants for your life. And we noted there were places in the Bible God just opened his heart and said, here's something I want for you. The very first one we saw in our Bible was simply this. It was salvation. God's first great desire running through Scripture is this. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have everlasting life. Salvation is God's first great desire. But following salvation, we saw a second desire. And go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We tapped it last night. And look with me in verse number 3. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, we saw the second desire God has for you and I. First is to be saved. He wants us to be saved. But following salvation, notice what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. He says, for this is the will of God. Oh, yeah, just, you know, I just have to pause and say, do you even need an interpreter? You know what I'm saying? You don't. In just plain English, God says, here's something I want for you. What is it? Even your sanctification. That you should abstain from fornication. Notice in verse 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. According to this Bible, God's first great desire for you is salvation. He wants to save you from your sin. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have everlasting life. And by by the way, he, he didn't just say that. He proved it. He commended his love by butchering his son for you and me. Amen. And so his first great desire is salvation. But following salvation, it's not done there. He has a second desire. It's sanctification. He wants you and I to be clean, living, God fearing children of his. Amen? And we said last night, I'll just give you this, because we have visitors here. You didn't hear the message. And I would hope you would get it because it's a meat and potatoes message. If you're saved, every Christian ought to hear last night's message. But the reason God wants us to live a holy life, not an unholy life, is because of who we now belong to. We belong to a holy father, not an unholy father. Amen? And everything about his family reeks of holiness. He wants us to be sanctified, to live a clean and holy life, not only because of who we belong to, but second of all, because of who we now represent. Scripture made it clear the day you got saved, you became an ambassador, a representative of of another king, another country, and another kingdom. And let me say this clearly, your Savior cares how you represent Him. And it led us to the third point, the third reason, Christian, why you should care how you live after you get saved is because of who you now affect. Remember what I said last night? As a general rule, lost people don't read their Bibles. They read Christians. 
And Paul said it in Second Corinthians 3, 2. He said, ye are our epistle, talking to saved people. Epistle means letter. Written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Amen? You know, sometimes the only thing people know about our Savior is what they see in us. Is that not true? And they watch us. When I was lost, I would, I would watch Christians first, try to find a reason to reject what they were telling me I needed. But the second one was, I do remember, Martyr, hoping I would find somebody who was really real and had the real deal. Amen? And so, regardless, they read our mail, regardless of the, uh, uh, their motivation. And you and I should be that which is Savior of life and not of death. We should be the reason somebody wants Jesus Christ to be their Savior rather than rejecting Him. Amen? And so the first desire of God is salvation. Second is sanctification. But go across the page. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we see a third desire God has for His people. Notice what He says here in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. He says, in everything, give thanks. Look up for just a moment. <laughs> when you read that, it's like this direct command. Notice that? I mean, you almost feel like saying, Why? Why should I? And then he seems to just anticipate it. For look at what he said. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Could I just say it clearly? God wants you to be saved tonight. God wants you to then be sanctified and live a holy life. But thirdly, God wants you and God wants me to be a grateful and a thankful individual. Amen? And yet, as I get into the message tonight, could I say clearly, we are surrounded by ungrateful and unthankful people. And tonight, you and I need to recognize that we live in an unthankful and ungrateful day today that would discourage us from being thankful and grateful people. You look at America tonight. That song when Kate Smith sang it, God bless America. That was a prayer request. That was a petition. When she sang that song, it was beckoning and asking God to bless us. But now it has turned into a demand. Mouths full, complaining. We pound and say, God, you need to bless America. Let me say, let me say this clearly. God has blessed America. And America needs to bless her God. We become a nation of complainers. We become a nation... Of whiners. Let me just say this for free. God has never inhabited. The complaining of his people. <laughs> he inhabits. The praising. And praises. Of his people. Amen. Now as we come into this thought tonight. You look at your Bible. And you find in the realm of gratitude. Thankfulness and contentment. They're almost, they all tie kind of together. They're intertwined. You'll find two dimensions in the Word of God. The first dimension is a horizontal dimension. It's the dimension that's found in this life. It governs time. And it belongs to everybody here tonight and everybody across this entire world, whether they're a believer or not. But then God has a second dimension in the realm of thankfulness that's vertical. And this one governs eternity, and it only belongs to the believer in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the two dimensions. The first one we find is the horizontal. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and look with me what God lays down. It's just a few pages further in your Bible, four or five pages along. 
Toward uh, after Thessalonians, you're going to find Timothy here in First Timothy chapter six. Watch with me the benchmark God lays down in this life for contentment, gratitude, and thankfulness. Look at what he says in First Timothy six six. He says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain." And then he goes on to say this in verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world. (laughs) And listen to this. It is certain we can carry nothing out. I have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You cannot take it with you. You are going to leave it all behind, whether it's a little or a lot. And because of that, look at what he says in verse 8. Here it is. Here's the benchmark. The horizontal benchmark that governs every one of us. And having food and raiment, look at this, let us be therewith content. You know what the Lord is saying here? If you've got food today and you've got clothes today, you ought to be a grateful, thankful, and contented individual. You say, well, why should I? I'm going to tell you why. There's a whole bunch of people in this world that don't even have that. You know what every American ought to do for a week every year? And every teenager or soon-to-be teenager ought to do for two weeks every year is go to a third world country and see how most of this world really, really lives. I remember years ago, all six of our kids were with us. We were in our RV, and uh, we were down in San Diego. We just finished preaching at a Spanish-speaking church in, uh, in, in San Diego. And when I preach at those churches, no habla espanol poquito, Taco, burrito, enchilada. Mm. Ah. <laughs> and so uh, what happens is I get to preach with an interrupter, an interpreter. And uh, you say, well, the service is a little long here. You ought to see it when it's said twice, you know. <laughs> but we preached at that service. Kids sang. It was a great meeting. And the pastor was a missionary's kid. He had been ra- born and raised in Mexico and just, just, uh, just bilingual and just... Uh, did a great job with those folks. And he came up to me after the Wednesday night service and said, Hey, Brother Dave, how would you like to go to Tijuana, to Mexico tomorrow? Have your kids ever been to Mexico? I said, No. He said, Tomorrow night is a Mexican church just south of the border in Tijuana. And do you think your kids, that would be a good experience? I said, That would be a great experience for them. I said, I've not even been south of the border. My wife has never. So he said, All right, meet you at 4 o'clock. We'll pick you up in the RV park and kids bring their instruments. They love music. The shoe's going to be on the other foot. You're not going to understand anything in that service except Jesus Christos. He said, but come on down. About 350 Mexicans that love the Lord are down there in their service and you come join them. So four o'clock, he comes to pick us up in the RV park. (laughs) Brother George, I'll never forget when he came to pick us up. The first thing I noticed is when you go to Mexico, you drive the biggest piece of junk you own. (laughs) If they steal it from you, you thank them for taking them off your hands. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, it was a 60s Volkswagen van, you know, it, you know, about five paint colors and bailing wire, duct tape. I mean, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, you know. And I remember we put the kids in. We put the instruments in. We just loaded it. We kind of held it together, you know, and then went south. And as we went from a USA to Mexico, I'm not kidding you. It was like another planet. All those beautiful tiled homes and multi-million dollar mansions gave way to little corrugated huts with uh, cardboard and, and dirt floors. You know what I'm saying? All the beautiful curb and gutter to rutted pothole rows. Literally all that prosperity got swallowed up in poverty in about 150 yards. 
we wended our way up to the church house, and for the next two, three hours, man, we sang and listened to them preach. Saw about three, 350 of them just worship the same God, the same Savior we worship. Following the service, I'll never forget what that preacher did. He said, Pastor, he said, let me show you how God has blessed us. And he took me on the grand tour of the property. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If that building was in the USA, you would not be allowed to be in it. I mean, bare wires hanging. And, uh, there wasn't even sheetrock. It was, you know, get down to the basement, Sunday school rooms. There's pieces of concrete with rebar twisted. They pulled over to keep the dogs from running through dirt floors. I mean, it was literally ready to just be demolished is what it looked. But if that guy had suspenders, they'd have been just like a mile out. He was so proud of what God had blessed him with. And then I'll never forget this. He took me to the brow of the hill. The sun had set during the service. The lights of Tijuana were twinkling in the valley. He said, Pastor, look out there. He said, those are my people. God has called me to win to his son. And he said, Pastor, see out there about a mile out? He said, see there where all of a sudden it goes black? I said, yes, sir. He said, that's where the power ends. As many people live in darkness as live with electricity. And then I'll never forget what he did. He reached in his pocket and pulled out a wad. I don't know how he did it of U.S. money. And he said, Pastor, our people wanted to be a blessing to you and your family. And he began to hand that to me. Now, you know, my automatic reaction was, no, sir. And that missionary, I'll never forget what he did. He slapped my hand. He said, you take that. You take that. He said, that's their way of showing you they love you. And rich American makes one day. What some of them people make in two or three months was forced to take an offering. It'll tear your heart out. It'll wonder what you're complaining about. Food and raiment, we blow past that a long time ago. We say things like, I already ate there last night. Can't we go eat somewhere else? You know what I'm saying? Clothes, closet. We live the Luke 16 rich man life. We fare sumptuously every day. We're clothed in linen and fine purple. And we complain. Shame on us. We have so blown past 1 Timothy 6 6. Amen? We have more than food and raiment. And yet we complain. I mean this with all my heart. You ought to. I came back from Honduras. I'm on the board of directors of the Hope Children's Home and our satellite ministry over in Honduras. I'm telling you, you come back and you just wonder what your complaining problem is because we have been blessed beyond compare. God said, food and raiment in this life. You go, there ought to be no complaining in your streets. But notice there's a vertical dimension. I want to go there in Hebrews chapter 13. The horizontal is food and raiment. But look in Hebrews chapter 13. And this one isn't time. This one is eternity. And in Hebrews chapter 13, God shows us a second dimension governing gratitude, thankfulness, and contentment. Hebrews 13 verse 5. It's near the end of your Bible, the book of Hebrews. And notice what's said in Hebrews 13 in verse number 5. The Bible says, let your conversation, that's your way of life, how you think, how you act, be without what? Covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. Now listen, I was a farm boy in Minnesota, and let me just say this. You know, in farm boy language, he's saying this. Quit leaning on the property line and looking over at what somebody else has, wishing it was on your side of the fence. That's what he's saying. You be content with what's on your side of the fence. And if you're saved, look who's on your side. Notice Hebrews 13, 5. For he has said, 
I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Let me tell you something. Horizontally, it's food and raiment. But eternally, it's a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And let me, let me make this very clear. When you get saved, you didn't get intermittent life. You got eternal life. You weren't granted probation. You were given salvation. Amen. There's a huge difference. All right. Jesus didn't make the down payment every month. You've got to send in your obedience, you know, coupon or he repose your eternity. He saves you once for all. You can rest in that. That's the kind of life he gives you. But here's the thing you need to realize. Listen, if, if you're saved tonight, you ought, to, you ought to recognize that you belong to him and he belongs to you. And that ought to go ahead and make you a very thankful individual. Because he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. And the knowledge of who you have in Jesus Christ and what is coming because you belong to him. That ought to lighten your load right now. Hallelujah. It don't matter what you're going through. Amen? I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> Best way I can illustrate this. This is, I'm going to illustrate it, and I, it, it, it's the best way I can just paint this picture where it comes alive in my heart, is to go back in time into the heart of a little farm boy. That would be me. I was raised in Minnesota, just the other side of the Twin Cities. I was raised on a beef operation, about 50, 55 head of beef cattle, bold, short-horned Herefords. I started driving tractors when I was eight years old. Had about 200 acres of tillable. Put up about 3,000 bales of alfalfa every summer. And people say, wow, that must have been a neat life. Let me tell you something. I hated it. I'll be very honest with you. That farm kept me from everything I really wanted to do. When school got out, I, my city slicker kids, they had to go up to the drugstore, buy some candy, and play pickup ball. Me, 45-minute bus ride home, half-mile walk up to the farm. And when we got up there, whether Dad was there or not didn't really matter. He had a piece of paper, David, Doug, Kathy, Ronnie, with about two and a half hours worth of chores to do before supper. Following supper, you... Went ahead and started doing your studies and homework and then went to bed about 10 at 6.20 the next morning was Reveille on his farm and you were back at it again. Summertime wasn't a break. Summertime was when all the work had to happen. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we, we never bought a stick of lumber. We'd tear down barns all summer long as well as do the crop as well as work the cattle. And then all winter long we'd build the sheds and the blizzards. It just never ended. People say, why in the world did you ever want to be a pilot? It all happened standing in dad's gulag. Out there in the fields under 95 degree heat. Walking the soybeans, pulling every weed by hand, miles. I'd watch them jets come out of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And all I would think is, man, there is somebody in an air-conditioned cockpit. <laughs> sipping a soda pop heading to an exotic land that's all I could think of and where am I I'm down here broiling in dad's gulag like an ant under a magnifying glass you know people pay money now to go see a farm y'all with me and feed the cabbies and I'd have paid money to leave the place I'm telling you the truth and you say but John Denver wrote a song that he was glad he was a country boy John Denver never would have written that song if he'd worked for my father I'm telling you the truth. I'm not, I am not, I'm not disrespecting my dad. My dad was a strict German 
And everything we did prepared me for life. I didn't want to grow up that fast. Y'all with me? And when I got the Marine Corps, it was just like a step across, man. I'd lived that all my life. But one week every year, (laughs) heaven would come down and visit this little farm boy. And his twin brother, Doug, in the form of Grandma B. Grandma B was the spoiling grandma. Grandma and Grandpa Berquist from Minneapolis would come out. And in the springtime, they listened to Doug and me plunk through that stupid piano recital we had with Mrs. Wilkins. Never did like the piano. She was so happy when she got rid of us, too. I think we were the worst students she ever had. But we, she'd come out, they would come out, and they'd watch our piano recital on Saturday. Go to the farm, have a cookout. Sunday morning, go to church. The whole family went to church. Then Sunday afternoon after lunch, we would get in their burnt orange pinto, load our little luggage up, wave goodbye to the camp commandant, dad, and then to 6510 North Eagle Lake Drive in Osseo, Minnesota, we would head. I'm not kidding you. We would be high-fiving going down the driveway because we knew what was waiting for us. We'd get to her house. She'd get out of that thing and, and get out of the car. She'd, she'd chug up to the door. She'd grab the skeleton key beside the door. Everybody knew it was there, but that's just the way they did it back then. Put it in there, give it a little bump, and two little 10-year-old boys would psh, go pilot in, man. Smell a book. She worked for Pillsbury. That's who she worked for. She was a poet. She was a writer. And we go in there. Very first thing Grandma B would do when we got to her house, she'd walk through the house. She'd grab the TV guide. She'd throw it at her feet. And she'd pull the TV on. Daytime television. Dad never allowed that on the farm. No, 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 no. Daytime television. Whoa. Now we only had five channels, boys. And they were all black and white. All right, that's all we had. But I had the first remote. Doug, go change the channel. Well, I don't change the channel. Okay, okay. You know, I was the alpha male in the relationship of twin brothers, you know. And we got to watch cool stuff, man. Bat Masterson, Branded, Bonanza. Y'all with me? That one season of Green Hornet with Bruce Lee playing Cato. You know, we got to watch that thing. We'd role play all over the house. You know what I'm saying? And and, uh, our favorite, though, was Rat Patrol. Them Jeeps coming over to sand dunes with a 50 calibers. You know what I'm, y'all with me? We didn't have to watch what mom and dad wanted to watch. You know, like, uh, uh, yeah, what was the guy? What was that? Well, he had his own orchestra. Whoop. Lawrence Welk, yes. We didn't have to watch Lawrence Welk. We had to watch real stuff. And then the whole time we're watching TV, she's got the TV tray set up. She becomes a close order cook, short order cook for the entire week. Boys, you want tapioca pudding? Sure, grandma. Uh, you want it hot? You want it cold? Uh, hot. Dad never asked us, what do you want? He said, just eat what's put in front of you. No complaining. And if you didn't serve yourself, he would serve you. All right? Even if it was walnuts and jello, Aunt Sue, you know. But, I mean, she became sure. You boys want steak? Sure. How do you like them? Oh, she just waited on us, spoil us, hand and foot. And the whole time we're getting spoiled, you know what we're thinking? We could be back there. We could be back on the farm. But we're here. She'd take us to Crystal Airport and watch the planes take off. Take us to Target, buy us any toy we wanted. Take us out at night, catch fireflies. Take us to, I don't know if you guys remember this place, Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor. Oh, 
Them two dingalings ordering up a Lollapalooza. Woo! Six, I think it was 64 scoops of ice cream. We thought we died and went to heaven. I'm not kidding you. It was the, for a little kid, it was, it had to be what heaven was like. You know what I'm saying? Now here's what would happen. We'd be in the middle of one of those jobs on the farm that was horrible. There was one that always trumped them all. It happened in the spring. Begin Saturday morning with dad's laconic voice, 645. He'd say, well, boys, all sitting at the breakfast table. He'd say, well, boys, I think we're going to clean out the lower shed today. Now, that doesn't mean much to you. But the lower shed, to us, was the outhouse for 45, 50 head of cattle all winter long. Yeah. Mmm. Mm. And it's springtime. I mean, in the winter, it freezes and builds. But now it's springtime. It's, you know, 45, 50 degrees, you know. It's a brown slough. And when Dad would make that announcement, I'm not kidding you. I would look at my twin brother and I would just say, why was I born into this family? I would think that thought. I was just like, oh, you go this He'd say, fire up the A, and I'll meet you down below. So we fired up that John Deere A and hook onto the manure spreader, and down below we go. Now, there were four sheds all in a row. We'd tin roof the whole thing. It was like 200 feet long. One of them was the shed. And you could always tell which one that was. There's a brown tidal wave coming out the door. And so the first set of doors opened out. That was no big deal. They wanted to open. You know, the next set opened in. It'd take you 20 minutes to get into the job. And I'll never forget that first scoop. You didn't use pitchforks for spring because it's runny. You use scoop shovels. Oh, yeah, I remember the first one. You take that scoop shovel and you go, and it disappear. Now you got to pick it up. I mean, the shovel handles bend and you know, do not break the scoop shovel. Dad only has one. You will be in big trouble. You know what I'm saying? And then you go ahead and you pull that one out. And where you pulled it out, it just goes right back in again like you didn't take anything. I remember the step when I would take a step in. However tall my boots were, it was always six inches deeper. Mm, lovely. Next step. Mm, great. Third step. Sock, I'm fishing. I haven't even gotten anything out of here, and I'm fishing. And I remember taking that first scoop, and then I'd turn and look at that manure spreader. A little kid, man, I couldn't have been but 70 pounds sopping wet. And you look at that manure spreader, you go, I gotta get it in there. I gotta get it in there. And you go ahead, and then you go, shoot, shoot, just like that. You know, it's like, ah! and you would, you say, oh, great, one scoop down, 700 more to go. Man, you felt like quitting. You felt, man, you just think, why? Like bowling like a girl. And then this little thought would hit you. Wait a minute. In three more weeks, I'm going to be at Grandma B's. I'm going to be eating tapioca pudding, eating a medium rare steak, watching Kato, you know. And it's warped. But the knowledge... Of where you were going helped lighten the load where you were. Let me tell you something. 
There's coming a day, Christian, where you and I are going to lay our armor by. And we are not going to Grandma B's for a week. We're going to our Heavenly Father's kingdom for all eternity. That is a reservation in heaven. In Jesus Christ, it is a guaranteed destination for every single believer tonight. And ten seconds in that place, you will wonder why you ever complained one second in this life. That knowledge ought to change your attitude right now. I don't care what you're going through. See, I'm going through a tough time, preacher. Doesn't matter. Scripture says your entire life, with all of its foists and foibles, all of its failures, all of its problems, is nothing compared to heaven. That exceeding weight of glory. It's all it is is a light affliction. You see, Christian, you need to recognize that for you and I, this life will be the only hell we ever taste. Before we go to that eternal place called heaven. But if you're here tonight without Jesus Christ, this place will be as good as you'll ever have it. If you continue and you eventually die without him, this will be the only heaven you go. No, before you go to a place God never intended to send you. For us, the best is yet to come. And let's just throw this one out for free. As Americans living in America and as Christians... All this in heaven too. There should be no complaining in our streets. You're saved tonight and you're an American. There should not be one shred of complaining in your streets. I don't care what you're going through. We've blown past the first dimension by being an American. And our second one is secure as the promises of God. That eternal place called heaven now is ours. Watch this. Notice, go back to our text and we're winding the thoughts down. Watch something here because we, we don't like to, we don't like to read this word or these two words. But in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we leave something out in this command and it's easy to do. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, notice what it says. He says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And notice what it is we leave out many times in What's the, what are those words? Everything God says, give thanks. You say, well, wait a minute. Preacher, even for the bad, bad things? Yeah, that's included in everything. Even for that tough relationship I'm struggling with right now? Yeah, that's included in everything. Even for the sickness that... My family's going through. That, that's included in everything. That death we just experienced. You know, last time I checked, that is included in the words everything. Oh, I know what it is. I'm supposed to maintain a grateful spirit through the midst of it. That's what God wants. He wants to have a thankful attitude as I go through it. I don't need to be thankful for it. Then what do you do with Ephesians 5.20 that says, Giving thanks always for all things. We become the grand arbiters of what's worthy of our praise and gratitude. Roll back the clock. Go visit Europe with me. 70 years ago, watch Adolf Hitler come to power. 
darkness sweep the continent. I touch this in the message, message on bitterness as I visit the Holocaust Memorial over in Jerusalem to the children. As that darkness sweeps the continent, little glimmers of light spring up, try to make a difference. One was a family in Holland, Denmark. They owned a clock shop. Their name was Tenboom. A book was written called The Hiding Place. If you've never read the book, you need to read the book. It's powerful. And it's one of the few movies Hollywood ever got right. Corey Tenboom was the author. And they were Gentile believers. They were Christians rescuing Jews through their little clock shop. But for a little bit of money, they were betrayed by countrymen and their entire family whisked off into labor and concentration camps across Europe. Corey and her sister Betsy went to Ravensbrook. This was a woman's death and labor camp. And Corey writes in her book, The Hiding Place, when we came into this place, it was unfathomable what man, fellow man, could do to fellow man. She said, I could not comprehend the darkness. Her faith stumbled a little. But her sister Betsy encouraged her. She said, Corey, there's no pit so deep that God's love isn't deeper still. She said, Corey, when God closes a door, he'll always open a window. They smuggled the Bible in, began to go ahead and hold Bible studies. Then the day came, their unit of women got lice. And as a result, they had to have their body hair shaved off in front of the leering guards. And in the course of all this, uh, this uh, embarrassment and all that was going on, Betsy turned to Corey and said, we should thank God for the lice. And Corey said, why would you do that? And Betsy quoted 1 Thessalonians 5.18. She said, because the Bible says in everything, give thanks. Corey couldn't do it. Betsy, thank the Lord. A few nights later, Corey whispered to Betsy in the dark, how come the guards don't come in here and do to us what they do to the other women? And Betsy said, they don't like lice. And right there, Corey said, thank you. Matthew Henry, the famous scholar, he was once accosted of thieves. He was robbed of his purse. In today's parlance, he was mugged. He kept a diary faithfully all his life. We can read that to, these, to this day. We can read the life of Matthew Henry. I wonder what you would write if you kept a diary. You came home tonight and found somebody went through your house and robbed it. What would be your Facebook post? What kind of attitude would come out of you when your little sponge got squeezed? Listen to what Matthew Henry said. He wrote this. Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And listen to the profundity of this man. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. We are so quick to complain. It's our default setting. It's the setting of our old sin nature. Because when your God is self, nothing's ever good enough. Amen? I'll close with this. I had the distinct honor of meeting a preacher years ago. I called him the weeping preacher, Brother Ralph. He was a bearded man. He played piano very well. 
Brother Ralph could never preach without weeping. I asked him about that. What's up, Brother Ralph? And Brother Ralph was a little boy in his household. His daddy was killed in Vietnam. Brother Ralph said, my dad's best friend came home full uniform, walked into the kitchen. I was the oldest son, maybe 10 years old. And he took me and he set me on the counter of the kitchen and he said, Ralph, sometimes men don't cry. You're the man of the house now. Your daddy's never coming home. Staring at that man, Ralph said, I just kind of sucked it up. Realized I'm a man now. I got to take care of mom. And men don't cry. So he said, I never did. He's a tough guy. But he said, the day I got saved at the age of 22, it's like the Holy Spirit of God caught up for lost time. He opened the floodgates and, Brother Dave, I just can't preach. And I think of my Savior without weeping. Brother Ralph would come up. He'd preach at our church up in Alaska. My kids knew him well, Ralph and Maggie. And the day came where Ralph found out we're going into evangelism. And our kids were just little shavers then. And he said, listen, Brother Dave, you come down with those kids. I've heard them sing. That's a good singing group. You can't preach. They'll still get you through. <laughs> As you come down to Jacksonville, he said, I got a January meeting. I'm preaching. Whole pile of preachers. I'll introduce you some preachers to help you get your ministry started. And so true to word he did, we came down January and he introduced me to some preachers. To this day across Georgia and Florida, I preach for every couple, three years. But I'll never forget what Ralph did that Sunday night following the service. He said, Brother Dave, me and Maggie want to take you guys out and feed you. I said, no, nah, you don't need to worry about that, Brother Ralph. He said, no, I'm not asking. He said, you're going. And so out we went. We found a place. It was nothing fancy. Burger King, Taco Bell. I don't remember what it was, but something that was open later. And he went ahead and we all got in there and he began to have the kids one at a time come by. And he'd go ahead and have them order up. Here's my illustration. This is how he'd do it. You guys picture, man, just a burly guy. He'd say, all right, son, now your cheap dad isn't buying, all right? So you look up there. What do you want? What do you want? He'd start working his shoulders, you know. He'd start working his arms. He said, don't get one of those. Get two of those. You want something to get a milkshake, son. And, you know, he just loading the order, man, loading them. All right. Thank you. <laughs> He's loading the order, man. He gets them all six through and he orders and he has me order and Mrs. S order, you know. And, and then as he finished the order, I stepped forward to pay. Now, you can understand my standing. I owned a business with 43 people that worked for me before I got in this ministry. I would have been a millionaire by the age of 49 and a half. God just moved me into this ministry and I never regretted one second. It was time to move on. The kids would have never had a daddy if I'd have stayed with it. It was chewing me up on every way you could think. What Brother Ralph was about to do was what I did when missionaries, evangelists, and preachers came up to my church. I took them out and paid for them. I had the money to do it. That's what it was there for. And as I step forward to pay it, I'll never forget. Brother Ralph, just with one sweep of his arm, just holds me back like that. Shells it out. You know what I'm saying? Pays for it. And then he has the kids start grabbing the trays. And I, I take a step back. And, man, I'm feeling weird. I'm feeling strange. I don't know what to say. You all with me? And I'll never forget Brother Ralph. He sees my perplexity and he turns to me and says, What's the matter, Brother Dave? 
I said, Brother Ralph, I don't know what to do. And to this day, I can see him look at me with that smile. Hey, bro, you don't have to do nothing. That's all he talked. Just be thankful. And when he said those simple words, I thought, you know, it doesn't matter if I have a lot or little. Both are equal enemies. The psalmist knew that. I can always be thankful. Jesus cleanses ten lepers and one comes back to give him the glory by giving him thanks. And Jesus said, where are the nine? Be careful tonight. Because when you become unthankful, you will become unholy. Romans 1, men didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. Neither were thankful. The sin of sodomy came from an attitude of ingratitude. 2 Timothy 3, perilous times come. Men will be all of the above. And it says, what? Unthankful, then unholy. And I say to you tonight, the least you can do is come back and say thank you and serve him. Amen? Notice what he says here. In everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.